Many years ago, I had a vehicle that I absolutely loved. It was a 2000 Dodge Durango. It was a beast. I still see them on the road, and every time I see one, especially if it's blue like mine, I, 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 get, a little, I get a little emotional. I catch myself thinking I miss my Durango so much. That Durango took me to some wonderful places, and it, it was able to carry me all over and, and get just about anywhere. Four-wheel drive, I was able to go through all kinds of things, but as it got older, it, it became less and less reliable and it seemed like it was spending more time in the mechanic than it was actually on the road. I remember one Saturday, I drove over to Pena, Illinois. There's a rails to trails place over there where they've converted a railroad track to a, a hiking and biking trail and I wanted to go walk it. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. I pulled into Pena. I had just made the turn to go towards that rails to trails and suddenly something felt wrong in the steering. The steering wheel jerked and it required both hands to hold on just to keep it straight on the road. I knew immediately what had happened. My power steering had gone out. Now it was still drivable and I considered just sticking around town, but it was drivable with a lot of difficulty. And I realized getting into a parking spot, a parking lot, getting around other cars, that could be a little dicey and I really didn't want to chance that. So thankfully the road from Pena back home to Kansas is mostly straight. I pointed the Durango East and I drove home and sometime after that, I'm afraid that vehicle met its demise. Thought about that a lot, you know. I think about that day of losing my power steering. Power steering is a great thing. You know, power steering is amazing to me. You have a massive vehicle, a big truck or an SUV, and with one finger you can turn the steering wheel, you can turn the direction. It's so easy because the, the, the power steering is doing it for you. So little effort to do that, to get you on the road, to get you to your destination. But without power steering. Things are difficult. <laughs> things become a lot more work. Some things maybe even are impossible without power steering. Jesus says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he tells them, you will receive power <laughs> when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You hear that? You will receive power, power steering maybe. I Sometimes I think about the Holy Spirit as kind of the power steering for the church. The Holy Spirit has the ability to guide us on our path, to keep us on the road, to keep us moving towards the goal. Do you remember the goal? Jesus says there in that same verse, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And the reality is Jesus told them to wait for the power from the Holy Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit's power. We cannot move forward without the Holy Spirit. We cannot fulfill Jesus's command. We're moving on today from Acts chapter 1, and we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 2, the whole chapter. We're going to just kind of walk through it and live in it a little bit today as we make our way through the chapter. Acts chapter 2 is an exciting chapter. It is the day of Pentecost. Sometimes we think of it as the birthday of the church. It was the day that the Holy Spirit was given to empower the church. 
And while that's exciting, and while that's kind of kind of mysterious and maybe even a little confusing sometimes, there is one element that we see in Acts chapter 2 over and over again, an element that works in concert with the Holy Spirit. That element is unity. In fact, it it first appears in the the very first verse before the Holy Spirit. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, that is the disciples, they were all together in one place. Over and over again, we read in this chapter of what they did together. Over and over again in the book of Acts, we read of what they did together. Together And the realization hits us that if we desire that kind of power for our church, then we should not miss the call to unity. Nobody gets the Holy Spirit all to themselves. And that's very important for you and I to remember. The Holy Spirit is given to the church. No one gets the Holy Spirit all to themselves. No one gets the promise that power is just for me. Instead, everything we read here in the Bible, every example we have here in the book of Acts is a call to unity for the whole church. And it comes with a promise that unity builds on unity. That's the target for the church. We talk about the church on target. What are we aiming at? Well, we have to aim with unity. That's where we start. That's how we know the presence of God's Holy Spirit. We can talk about all kinds of spiritual things and Holy Spirit things. We can talk about powers and we can talk about gifts. We can talk about being filled with the Spirit. We can talk about strange things like speaking in tongues, exciting things, strange things, and all those things that we want. But it always comes back to unity. Unity with the Holy Spirit. Unity with one another in the church. And how unity builds on unity. That's how the church does what the church does. That's how the church is steered by the Holy Spirit. As we make our way through Acts chapter 2, we see how unity builds on unity. Everything they did led to a greater expression of the unity that God was calling them to and what he calls all of us to. From the very beginning of this chapter, we see a unity of place in the church. Again, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. We say day of Pentecost today, and I hope we all understand it comes today with a lot of baggage, a lot of meanings that just weren't there when, when this, this event happened. Pentecost. Penta means 50. Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Weeks. It's a Jewish festival. 50 days after Passover comes the day of Pentecost. It was the celebration of the end of the barley harvest. There's also a pilgrimage celebration, just like, just like Passover. Everyone would come back to Jerusalem, to the temple, and they would offer their gifts and offer their offerings from the barley harvest. Verse 1 tells us that the disciples were all together in one place. That's true of the disciples, but realize on the day of Pentecost, 
That was true of all of Israel. They were all together in Jerusalem. God brought them together, and in bringing them together, He reveals His Holy Spirit, and He reveals His Son, our Savior. All the way through the book of Acts, we see the church on the move. Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. But you know, this is the only place in the book of Acts where they're not told, where they're told not to move, where they're told to wait, where they're told to not do anything, just wait. The church waits, as Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. We read, All of these were in one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They're waiting. They are all together waiting, but it's not like they're not doing anything. What are they doing? They are praying together. They they are praying. Waiting is not passive. We shouldn't think of waiting as passive. Waiting is not a matter of doing nothing. They are meeting together, they are praying, and they are listening for God. There's a lesson there for all of us as we continue to watch and wait. There are times in our lives and in the lives of our churches that we don't know what's next. We don't always know where God is leading us. What does God want us to do? What does God want me to do? What direction should I go? The worst thing that we can do in times like that is nothing. (laughs) The worst thing we can do is give in to our paralysis and do nothing. The best thing that we can do in those times is continue to pray, continue to meet together, continue to love each other. Unity of place is not just about the room that they were in. It's that you and I need to be in a place of prayer That place of prayer took them to the day of Pentecost. And that's when we see and hear a unity of praise. I don't think it's a coincidence that we go from waiting and praying in chapter 1 to moving in the power of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. If we, if you and I learn to wait and pray, what could be next? Where could God take us next? There's obviously a lot to take in in this chapter as we try to cover the whole thing. But the focus in chapter 2 is not on the mysterious. It's not on the strange stuff. The focus is on what the people heard. And what they heard was praise. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Again, going back to to verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were, dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at at, at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? 
How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. I want you to hear verse 11. The crowd says, We hear them in our, telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That's something the Holy Spirit empowered the church to do, to declare the mighty works of God. But what is amazing is that the mighty works of God are suddenly accessible in every language. Every person heard them in their own language. You know, we're taking up a special Pentecost offering. Pentecost Sunday this year is on May 23rd, and we're taking up a special Pentecost offering this year to help a man who is starting a radio station, a Christian radio station, for people who speak Farsi. I'm not going to be able to understand it, and you may not be able to understand it, but there will be people for whom they are going to hear the praises of God in their own tongue. Here in chapter, that, that's, the, that's the blessing that's being fulfilled in verse 11, providing the mighty works of God in their own language. Maybe you remember in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. Do you remember the story of the Tower of Babel? It's, it takes place when there is just one language on the whole earth. And people come together to build this tower that's going to reach into the heavens. You remember what God said about their unity, about what they were trying to do on their own? God said with one language, nothing is impossible for these people. And that's the story of how we have multiple languages. God confuses the languages and because the unity that they are experiencing was unity that was turned against God and turned against His will. But what happens on Pentecost? What do we see happening on Pentecost? They all hear in their own languages. They all hear the same thing. They hear the mighty works of God. Genesis chapter 11 said, if they continue like this, nothing is impossible for them. In Acts chapter 5, a, a man named Gamaliel warns the Sanhedrin, warns the Jews, that if this church, if this new group, these people who follow Jesus, if this is from God, nothing you can do will stop them. Genesis chapter 11, they were scattered out of fear of what they might do to the world when they all came together. But in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, we hear of the church, they have turned the world upside down. That's the power of praise when it is unified. So there is unity of praise, and that unity of praise is reflected in the message of the church. And we hear it in Peter's sermon there on the day of Pentecost. In Peter's sermon, we hear a unity of message. 
The crowd is hearing all this praise. They're hearing the praises of God, the mighty works of God in their own languages. There is some confusion as to what's happening. Some in the crowd say they're probably drunk. Peter gets up to speak, and I love how Peter clears it up. In verse 15, Peter says, These people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. What he's saying is, hey, it's 9 a.m. We haven't gotten around to that yet. <sighs> Peter opens up the scripture, and he takes them to the prophets, and he shows them how what was happening that day was fulfilling what was spoken of by the Old Testament prophets, the promises the prophets made of one day of, of visions and signs and wonders. But in the end, all of those things are always grounded in God's promise and grounded in our need to respond to God's promise. Acts chapter 2, verse 21, Peter says, It shall come to pass that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter preaches about prophecy. He preaches about power, but everything comes down to what are you going to do with this message? What are you going to do? How, how will you respond to the message? How will you respond to Jesus? And as Peter wraps up his message in chapter 2, verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He calls for responsibility from the crowd, responsibility for their own actions, responsibility for their sin. He confronts the reality that all of us, all of us have failed, but he doesn't leave it at that. The focus is on who Jesus is and what his sacrifice has accomplished for us, that we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. I hope there's that kind of unity of message with us. I hope that's the message that people hear from us. I hope our message is not simply about their failure, how they've failed God, how they've failed themselves, the failure of their sin, how they've disappointed God. I hope we give them hope. I hope we point them to Jesus. You hear Peter in in verse 32. It's in verse 32. He says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Do you remember last week, chapter 1, verse 8? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We don't dare tell people about what we've witnessed, what we've seen from Jesus, without giving them hope. There needs to be that unity in our message. And with that unity of message comes a unity of response. You hear the response of the people in verse 37. After, G after Peter has preached, verse 37, the, re the crowd responds. Now then, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They're, they're cut to the heart. We might say today they are convicted. There's a little bit of anxiety in that statement. 
anxiety that says, we can't go on like this. We can't live with ourselves like this. We can't live with what we have done. And so they ask the question, what shall we do? What is the proper response to this message that you have preached? Peter gives the entire crowd, everyone there, one response. One response. A unity of response to the message. What is the appropriate way to respond to the promise of Jesus. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's, there's a lot to take in in that one verse, Acts 2.38. Whole sermons have been preached on that one verse. I want to focus on something there that we don't usually focus on. We focus on baptism. We focus on repentance. We focus on the promise of the Holy Spirit. I want to focus on something that we don't usually focus on, though. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you. I want you to hear that. There is not a there's not a response to the message that is right for this person, but not right for that person. There's not something that he tells that person back there to do that he doesn't tell that person over there to do. Uh, no, he says, every one of you respond this way. Everyone repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. There is one response. I don't know how many times I've had someone say to me about me, you know, when they baptized you, they should have held you under a little longer. <laughs> I don't necessarily argue with that, but that's not the point. It's fun to say, and it's fun to joke around like that, but that's not the point. Listen, there is not a special baptism for people who have sinned a lot more, and there is not a lighter baptism. You don't get baptism light if you happen to have not sinned all that much. No, there is just one response. As Paul goes on to say, there is one Lord, there is one Savior, there is one baptism. There is one response. In other words, your sin, hear me carefully, your sin is not so bad that you need something extra besides Jesus, besides what Paul or what, what Peter says here. Your sin is not so bad that you're going to have to take extra steps to prove yourself. And no one's sin is so light that they're off the hook. Ah, you, don't, you don't need to worry about that. Do you hear the unity in that response? The unity in that response tells us we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same condition. We all have the same need to make the same response, and we all receive the same promise. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We come with the same need. We come with the same problem uh, for our sin. But we hear the same message and we are called to the same response. And where does that lead us? It leads us back to unity of place. It leads us back to unity of place. That's where we began. Remember verse 1. They were all together in one place. They were waiting. They were praying. They were wondering what's next. And then how does Acts chapter 2 end. Well, in verse, verse 42, we read, 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Do you hear that? Where were they in the beginning? They were together. Where are they at the end? They are together. But now they're, they're not waiting together. Going on, verses 45, uh, 45 through 47. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you hear that? They praised. They were devoted to the teaching, unity of the message. Uh, the, they were in unity in the way they cared for each other, the way they cared for their community. They showed us unity builds on unity. And you see the result of that unity at the end of chapter 2. You see the result. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, hear that and don't just hear numbers. Don't just hear growth. I, I want you to hear effectiveness in that statement there at the end. The church got better at doing what the church was supposed to do. They got better at serving each other. They got better at serving their community, serving their Jerusalem, serving their Judea, serving their Samaria, and serving the end of the earth. They got better at worshiping. They got better at sharing the message, and God blessed them. Think about that day I lost my power steering. <laughs> Uh, I think about that day I had the problem with my Durango. And, you know, the problem with my Durango was not mysterious. And, and the cure for it was not miraculous. I didn't wonder, you know, maybe, maybe God has not blessed me with power steering today. <laughs> that was not my question. I mean, I, I understood something wasn't connected. Something wasn't connected right, and, and I felt the strain of lacking that connection. You know, when we're connected in unity with each other, when we are connected in unity to the Holy Spirit, we'll know His power. We'll know His presence. We will know His ability to guide us, to, to steer us, and to lead us in blessing. The end of Acts chapter 2 shows how God blessed the church in Jerusalem. Not just to empower them, but to use them, to use them to bless their community. He blessed the church and the church grew. Coming away from that all, I, I see one constant from this entire chapter, one lesson for us all. If we want God's blessing on our part, it starts with unity. It starts with us coming together as one, working together as one, worshiping together as one, and loving one another. And it doesn't happen without unity. Being committed to a church means being committed to one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, caring for one another. 
No matter what else we do, let's make sure we start there. Let's make sure we all start there and then see where God will take us and see how God will bless us. Again, we call it communion because it is about communing, not just with God, but with one another. It's about laying aside our differences. It's about learning to forgive, and it's about growing closer to one another and realizing that you and I have received, been recipients of, of one gift. There's not a special communion for some people and a different communion for people who have sinned more, a different communion for people who haven't sinned much at all. And, it's one communion. It's one blessing, and we share that together. Today, let's remind ourselves as we take of the promise that we have, the promise of unity, and let's remind ourselves of where the Holy Spirit can take us when we dwell together, when we live together with that kind of unity. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit who steers us, who guides us, who leads us closer and closer to you and leads us to be the church that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray for my friends. I pray that together we might have the kind of unity that becomes a reflection of your presence in our lives, the kind of unity that welcomes the Holy Spirit to dwell among us, to work within us, and to lead us towards your goal for us as a church. Father, bless this time in communion. Bless the bread. Bless the cup. Remind us of the sacrifice that's been made for all. One sacrifice for all of us that we might know your promises together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. God bless. Have a great week and go in peace.